want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 9. Now, a portion of scripture that we're going to get into and read is one that, that we get into a lot because it contains just a ton of miracles and signs and wonders that Jesus has done. And uh, I, I want to, we'll get into them, but I want to focus on this last part of the text that we're going to read and I want to, uh, to show you. The book of Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And he was, saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now that right there is powerful. That's the God we serve. And, and while he's not on this earth anymore, that's still the desire. His desire is still to touch, to teach, to preach, to heal. He's a God that when people come in contact with him, their lives are changed. You, you cannot, I, I just, I'm convinced, you cannot get in close proximity to the Savior and not have your life affected. Now you may put on a great facade and you may walk away and say, yeah, I'm not changed. Nothing affected me. But you're lying. Because God is incapable of touching a per or, or, or being near a person and not touching their heart. But after all of this, and we're going to back up and we'll, 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 we'll go back over it just to, to remind you. But after all of this, you have verse 37 and verse 38. And he saith unto his disciples, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers unto his harvest. I don't want to make this hard. You don't need to, to, to have a, a PhD in theology. It's very simple. I want to preach to you this subject. Please don't make Jesus have to beg. Please don't make Jesus have to beg. Father, we thank you. Your word is here. Your word is clear, but now, Lord, I pray that we would learn to apply your word. That we would not just hear the word, but we would be doers of the word. For every heart, every soul that's in this place, Lord, let your word speak to them, I pray, in the matchless, mighty name of Jesus. We ask this in your name. Hallelujah. You can be seated. It was said that Sherlock Holmes and uh, Dr. Watson had taken a camping trip. They were, you know, they were there and... It was so nice. They'd set up their camp. Everything was, was great. And some hours later, Watson, or rather Holmes, wakes up Dr. Watson as they're, they're out there. And he has this kind of quizzical look that I assume only Sherlock Holmes could have. And he, he looks at Watson. And he says, Watson, look up at the sky. Tell me, what do you see? Watson rubs the sleep out of his eyes. And he looks up and he says, I... I see stars. What does that tell you, Holmes said? Watson strokes his chin and thinks. He ponders and he says, well, astronomically speaking, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. I, I see the Milky Way. I, I see that. It, it says astrologically 
that it, it tells me that, the, that Saturn is in the Leo position. And horologically, it appears to be approximately a quarter past three. And theology, uh, theolo- whatever that word is, it's evident that the Lord is all-powerful and we are small and seemingly uh, insignificant. And meteorologically, it teaches us that we're going to have a beautiful day tomorrow. Finally, Watson looks and says, well, Holmes, what does it tell you? Holmes looks at him and says, Watson, you imbecile, can't you see our tent is missing? There's a danger. Some of you did not get that at all, and it's okay. Maybe someone will explain it to you later. There's a danger when we get to Scripture and we look for the complicated, we look for the the, the intricacies, we look for all of those things that are hard to understand rather than just see the obvious. There was a, a dangerous sea coast. Let me just kind of set the stage. It was said that there was a, a dangerous coast there on the sea where shipwrecks had happened. And so they had built those in, in the town, in the city, they built a little lighthouse They had what they called the life-saving station. If you need to think of it like a Coast Guard station, you can. But it was, you know, it was primitive. It just had one boat. But those that came and they would man the lighthouse and they would man the boats, they were committed and they kept a constant watch over the sea. If a ship floundered, if a ship was going down, it was them that unselfishly went out day and night to save those whose lives were going to be perishing And so because of that, they had garnered quite a name and a reputation for all those that they had saved. And it became famous. And so consequently, there were those that wanted to join that that station. They wanted to give their time. They wanted to give their talents. They wanted to give their money. New boats were bought. New crews were recruited. A formal training session had begun. And so it was nice. As the membership grew, they became unhappy that the building, the lighthouse, was so primitive, the equipment outdated, and so they wanted a better place. And so they replaced those dry, rotted emergency cots with beds. They put new furniture as they built a new, enlarged, and decorated lighthouse and building. People gathered there. It became a popular gathering place for its members. They met regularly. It was apparent that they were a close-knit community, those that had been on the boat and saved lives. They hugged each other when they would see each other. They shared with them glances, and they, it was, a, it was a, a, a apparent there. But the problem was fewer people were interested in going out on the boats to save those that were lost. It was hard work wet work, cold work. And so the members of that lighthouse crew, they decided to hire professional lifeboat crews to do it for them. About this time, a large cruise ship was wrecked off the coast and those hired crew members rescued and it was timeless, I mean, or it, took, it was time consuming rather, just uh, one after another they pulled people out and they brought those cold, wet, dirty, sick, half-drowned people back to the lighthouse in that area, in that beautiful place where they had painted the walls and done the carpet and put the beds. Uh, It was bad. It became a place of chaos. The carpets got dirty. The beds got stained. And so the property committee immediately decided they were going to build a shower outside that lighthouse station where they could wash those victims of the shipwreck before they came inside. They had a meeting. 
The next meeting, it was a loud, boisterous meeting, and there was a rift in the membership. Most of those members of that lighthouse, they, they, they decided that they didn't want to save lives anymore because in the saving of it, it was unpleasant. It was a hindrance to the normal fellowship of those that were there. And so others, though, raised their voice and said, are we not a lighthouse? Are we not a life-saving station? Do we not have lifeboats and, and, and members out there that can help? But their voices were gaveled down. And they were told that if you want to save lives, go start your own lighthouse and Coast Guard station down the coast. And that's what they did. The problem was that coast, that, or that lighthouse and that station, it had the same uh, ebb and flow and experienced the same changes that the old. It evolved into a place to meet for fellowship. It evolved into a place where they learned special training about their mission, but very few of their training ever actually was used to help drowning people. And history began to repeat itself and they say, I don't know if it's true or not, but they say that if you visit that coast today, you'll find a lot of lighthouses, a lot of places where there are ample parking and plush carpeting. Shipwrecks still happen, but most of them drown because they forgot the purpose of what they were for. Perhaps it's a, an antidote. Perhaps it's just one of those stories that sounds good. I don't know, but it, it pretty much mirrors things that happens a lot. My question is, what is the church for? Why do you come to church? What got you up this morning? You rolled out of bed, some of you early, some of you hit your alarm clock 18 times, and then you really got stressed when you realized you had 10 minutes to get to church, and church is 15 minutes away. But you got dressed, you brushed your teeth, you combed your hair, waxed the top of your head for Brother, Vic, uh, Brother uh, Vickers, and, and you, you decided to come. What did you come for? Let's take a journey with Jesus. See, in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 1, we see it where he healed a leper. Where the leper came and worshipped him and said, Lord, if you will, not if you can, but if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus puts forth his hand and immediately that leprosy was cleansed and they go away. The, the story of Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, while we don't know exactly how long a time frame those two chapters Span. It reads just as snapshots one after another of the miracles of Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 verse 5 through 10. He's in Capernaum and a centurion comes and beseeches him. He asks him, he begs him, he says, Lord, my servant is at home sick with the palsy and he's grievously tormented. And Jesus looked at him and said, I'll come heal him. This is one of the greatest acts of faith recorded in the Bible. The centurion said, Lord, I'm not, I'm not worthy that you would come under my, my roof, but, but just speak the word. And I know my servant can be healed. I'm a man of authority. I'm used to barking our orders and, and the, 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 those that are under me. They just, they do them. So I know what authority is. Lord, you have the authority over this sickness, over this palsy. Just speak the word. I know it will happen. And Jesus said, I, I marvel. Verily, verily, I say unto you, I have never found so great a faith, not in all of Israel. Think about that. He was looking at his disciples, and, and if you will, by virtue of what he said, he was saying his disciples don't even have that kind of faith. His own family doesn't even have that kind of faith. From there, 
Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, Jesus keeps on. It's just one, one miracle. He walks into Peter's house, and, and there is Peter's mother-in-law sick with a fever. And, and Jesus just touches her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose. And I, I guess started cooking. It says he ministered unto him, started cooking and providing, and, and it was there. They, they brought unto them that, was, that, that were possessed with the devils, and he cast out the spirits with just a word. He healed all that was sick. It was a miracle. It was incredible what Jesus was doing. But yet with all these miracles, there were still those that had excuses why they couldn't follow. Matthew chapter 18, or Matthew chapter uh, 8, verse 18, he sees the multitudes around them. And, you know, one person came and said, I'll, I'll go anywhere you want me to go, Lord. I'll follow you anywhere you want me to go. Jesus said, well, I'd love that, you know, but it, it's not always easy. The foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have even a home to lay his head. It's not going to be an easy journey. And the man said, well, mm, I'd like to do that, but let, let, me, let me take some time to think about it. I'll go bury my father and, and, and I'll go take that. And there was always people that had excuses why they wouldn't follow Jesus, but Jesus just kind of didn't let that bother him. He just kept going. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, he enters into a ship. And while on that ship, the disciples are following him and a, 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 a storm rises in the sea and insomuch that it felt as if that little boat they were on was going to be capsized. And, and they, the disciples, they found Jesus sleeping and they shake him awake. Lord, save us. We're going to die. We're going to perish. And he looks at them and says, oh, ye of little faith. And then Jesus arose, rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. And they marveled, even the disciples marveled, what manner of man is this, that the winds and the sea obey him. These disciples had seen the power and the presence of God. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, after the storm passes and they go to the other side, there it's the, the, the country of Gadara or, or, or the Gazarenes, however you want to say that, and there's two of them possessed with the devils. They come out of the tombs and they, they, they've lost their mind. Their, their, their chains have been broken by them. They've scratched themselves. They've hurt themselves. They've become animals and almost uh, just, it's the stuff that their nightmares are made out of and, they, they fall at the feet of Jesus and, 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 and there Jesus casts out the demons into a uh, herd of pigs and they go running. The whole city heard about it. They wanted to know how in the world can one man do what doctors and counselors and all of those couldn't do. We just had to send them out into the tombs. But yet one man, one, one Jesus, you, you touched, you, you did it. It, it. it just blew their minds get to Matthew chapter 9 and he comes back to his own city and there a man sick with the palsy. It's the same story in the book of Mark where, where they lowered down uh, the man on the cot that, that with four guys you know, lowered him down and Jesus uh, healed him. And, and so that's there in verse 8. The multitude saw it. They marveled and they glorified God who had given such power. It just blew their mind. In Matthew chapter 9 verse 17 he calls Matthew the tax collector. This was not a, uh, uh, you know, a, a good man. This was probably not someone that, that knew all the scripture. It may have not even been someone that was close to God, if you will. But yet still God brought him in. and It just, it just really messed people up to see God touching the, 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 those in society that others kind of had forgotten. 
He goes then, he's going to heal Jairus' daughter. And, and so he's ready. He, he, gets, he gets his disciples. They're going to heal Jairus' daughter on the way. The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years pushes her way through the crowd and touches the very bottom, the hem of Jesus' garment. And virtue leaves Jesus and she's healed. And they don't understand. They're blown away again. The power, the glory of, of what Jesus is doing. He walks in, now Jairus' daughter, she's not sick, now she's dead. And everybody's weeping and crying and mourning. And, and they say, you, there's no way you should have gotten here sooner. And he goes in, he kicks everybody out of the house. He walks in and he grabs that dead little girl by the hand and picks her up. And she lives. And, and again, people's mouth drops open. Matthew chapter 9, verse 26, he heals the blind men. They 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 they. they perceive that he's passing by they can't see it but in what they hear and what they're understanding here comes Jesus and so they lift their voice Jesus thou son of David have mercy on us Jesus asks them what do you want me to do they said we want you to heal us so he touched their eyes and immediately the Bible says according to your faith be it unto you their eyes were opened and they departed they spread abroad the miracles of Jesus Matthew chapter 9 verse 32 They went out There was a, a man possessed with the devil He couldn't speak Jesus casts out the devil And he began to speak And the multitudes marvel And this is what they said We've never seen this in Israel Throughout the land Matthew chapter 9 Throughout the cities and the villages Teaching in the synagogues Preaching the gospel of the kingdom Healing every sickness and every disease among the people And you would think Is there anything that Jesus can't do? That, and, and that's just a, a small glimpse A small snapshot Of God manifest in the flesh Walking on earth And you it just kind of gets there and then all of a sudden in the middle of all of those miracles of all of those uh, uh, incredible acts of God's power you have these two verses thrown in there and he said unto the disciples the harvest is plenteous but the laborers are few pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest if you break down those things it says the laborers are few the Greek words that are used to describe that, it literally means they are puny. They, they, I can't even hardly count them. I'm, I'm scraping the bottom of the barrel. There's, there's no one, it seems, that is willing to work. The laborers, it, it, it meant someone who does something. I have a Bible program on my computer that I use and I can access commentaries and I can access uh, uh, Bible dictionaries and, and, and these theological books and it has Greek and Hebrew lexicons and so I can click on a word and, and kind of it, it expands that word up and that word labor, this is what it said behind it. Someone who does something. Can I tell you today that, that the laborers that God is wanting, he's not necessarily looking for the most qualified person. He's not looking for the one that has all the knowledge. He's not looking for the one that has all the money. He said, if I could just find someone that would do something, it would suffice. But it's that word, pray. The very beginning of that verse 38, pray ye therefore to the Lord of the harvest. That word, pray, 
It's not your typical prayer. It's not the same words that you would find other places in the King James Version Bible where the word pray or prayer is mentioned. This word that, that, that is translated from the Greek or the Aramaic, if you will, uh, it, it means to beg, to beseech. It almost gives the, the visual picture of someone on their hands and knees with their, with their hands wrapped around somebody, you know, maybe somebody's hand or somebody's feet, begging them, please. Just, it's interesting. He said that, that I'm begging for laborers. I'm begging for someone to do something. There was an old deacon, an old, uh, that, that was in a, in a church, and, and as some of us are prone to do, myself included, if I was to call on someone to pray, you would tend to perhaps go to a, a familiar uh, phrase or scripture. And so anytime this old deacon would pray, he would use a stereotypical phrase in it. And he would say, Lord, touch the unsaved with thy finger. And he would do that often. That was just kind of his way of praying. Lord, touch the unsaved with thy finger. And one day the, the, he was praying and, and he was doing as he always did and right before he got to that he stopped short and, and it looked as if he just kind of went into a trance and there were people there, members, they thought maybe, uh, you know, God forbid, a stroke or, or something like that. They came to his side, they asked if he was ill and he kind of shook himself back to reality and he said, no, 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 no. But, but as I was praying and I said that, something seemed to say unto me, hey, you're the finger. You've been praying, touch them with your finger, but, but you're the one. It is. You're the one that I'm looking for. You're the one that I need. I want to ask you a question. And I'm not asking you to raise your hand or tell me anything, but how many times have you prayed, Lord, send us revival? How many times have you gotten down in a prayer meeting on a Tuesday night and even sincerely tears running down your face? How many times have you got down and you said, Lord, I'll let this church grow. God, fill this church. Lord, let your miracles be here. God, we need revival. Send us revival. But instead, the prayer that I'm seeing that Jesus once prayed is not, Lord, give us revival, but Lord, make us laborers. I realize you're saying, Pastor, my goodness, can't you preach anything else on a Sunday morning? I mean, think about it. We can preach about salvation. We can preach about healing. We can see things that could actually happen in the service. But in reality, it's the cry of the Lord that says, is there anybody that would just do something for the kingdom? How many of you know our global missions director, Brother Bruce Howell? Bruce Howell is an incredible man. He long, long time uh, uh, missionary, I think, to El Salvador. And, and their incredible work, churches, when they have a, a, a general conference in El Salvador, they, they take an entire soccer stadium. We're talking 40, 50, 60, 70,000 people that will gather to hear the gospel. It's been an incredible uh, work that God has done. Brother Bruce Howell is passionate about what God wants to do and how the church is going to grow and how people are going to be saved. And he told me this story, and I, now he does it, 
And I know he can do it, but it just blows my mind. I've, I've threatened in my own mind, never to any of y'all, I've threatened in my own mind to do the same thing, but I don't know exactly how it worked. He had a church, I think, the church that he would, that he pastored while he was a missionary in El Salvador ran over 2,000 people. And, and he's a very uh, deliberate man. He keeps records. He keeps track. And he had always told his saints that, that the church services, while there's worship that needs to happen and while the glory of God is going to be here and we're going to get renewed and restored and there's healings, he said the church service especially on those, those Sundays, that kind of your biggest church. He said that church service is reserved for God to fill people with the Holy Ghost, to save people. And he would preach that. And he would say, he said, if we ever get to the place where there's nobody in the church that needs salvation, I'm going to shut that, that service down and we're going to go home. But Hal told me a couple years ago, he said, he said there came a day when out of all of those 2,000 plus people, there was not one visitor, sinner, someone that needed the Holy Ghost, meaning that 2,000 people did not bring anybody to church. And so the church service was going. When he got word of that, he got up to the pulpit and he said, everybody go home. He said, and when you're ready to bring somebody to church, I'll preach. What if I did that? Well, here, I'll turn around so I don't look at anybody. If I did that, some of you would shout because you'd have a long night sleep. If, if I canceled church, some of you'd say, well, that gives me more time to watch the football game. If I canceled church because there was nobody here to hear the word of God, somebody would say, huh. Ah, that's kind of cool. I wonder if we can maybe not bring someone next week and he'll do the same thing. That makes us uncomfortable. What instead, the prayer of Jesus, who says, I am begging that I could find someone to do something for the kingdom of God. Jesus does the miracles. But it's up to you and I to get somebody in the presence of Jesus. Oh, sure, there's moments in which Jesus walked by and stopped someone. But for that miracle, there's the paralytic man that was paralyzed and needed four people to bring him to church to get him in the midst of where God could heal him. It's, it's a Jairus that was willing to find Jesus and say, would you pray for my daughter? It's a centurion that was willing to make his way to Jesus and say, would you pray for my servant? What I find is that while Jesus does the miracles... While Jesus performs the powerful, miraculous touch, he's looking for you and I to set the stage. Acts chapter 8. Well, well let's go to Matthew chapter 9 first. Matthew chapter 9, if we, if we go back, remember chapter, chapter, 37, or chapter 9 verse 37 verse 38 is when he prayed. He said, I'm, I'm looking for laborers. I'm looking for someone to help the church. And so immediately Matthew, he says, he called his, unto him his 12 disciples and he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all diseases. And the names of the 12 apostles are these and it lists them all. And those 12 Jesus sent forth 
And he commanded him saying, don't go to the way of the Gentiles or in the city of the Samaritans where you enter not. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and he said, I'm going to give you strength to heal the sick and cleanse the leper and raise the dead and cast out the devils. And I want you to do that. You, you, you may not have all the money. In fact, I'm not going to necessarily give you gold or silver or brass in your purses. I'm not going to give you a script. I'm not going to give you extra clothes. I just want you to go when you go. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 1, another time, it says the Lord appointed 70. He took, it wasn't just 12, but he took 70 people and he sent them two by two. And there's this phrase in the Bible that for years gets me. It says he sent two of them at a time. So there's 70 people, so he sent 35 groups. He sent them two at a time and it says he sent them before his, his face into the, every city and place where he himself would come. I want to tell you today that all of those miracles that we begin to read, they were very likely preceded by two people, two disciples that went to that city of Capernaum, that went to that city of Nazareth, that went to Galilee, that went to Bethsaida, that went to Bethlehem. Just two people that went before Jesus ever showed up, set the stage, told them about Jesus. Perhaps that's why blind Bartimaeus, when he's sitting there on the curb and he can't see, but he begins to hear uh, the crowd coming and maybe he hears, oh, it's Jesus of Nazareth is coming. Maybe the reason why he lifted his voice and said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Maybe the reason he had that ability to do it was because there were two people that walked into his town and said, I can I know one that can heal. Did you hear about the other blind man that Jesus healed? Did you hear about the leper that Jesus healed? Jesus is looking for someone to go before him. Someone to set the stage. Someone to build the faith. One of the greatest revivals that you can find in the book of Acts happens in Acts chapter 8 and verse 25. You've got Philip, and Philip was a, 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 a man of God, a great preacher, a great evangelist. And Philip, it was is that he, he, he went and he was in Samaria, and there was an absolute, incredible revival that took place. It was unprecedented what God was doing. They were getting the Holy Ghost. They were speaking in other tongues. There was healings. They were getting baptized in Jesus' name. And almost, if you will, in the middle of that revival... God says, hey, Philip, I need you to go. I need you to leave Samaria. I know it's red hot, but there's other people that can keep that going. I need you to go down into the way uh, from Jerusalem into Gaza. It's, I know it's desert, but I need you just to go there because you're going to meet a man. He's from Ethiopia. He, he's a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He has all the charge of Queen Candace's treasure. This, this man, he's come to Jerusalem or he's coming to Jerusalem to worship and now he's returning and he's sitting in his chariot reading Isaiah. He said, he said Philip, God said, Philip, go and find that chariot. 
And Philip leaves that red-hot revival where, I mean, it would have been, if you want to talk about a resume builder for a preacher, Samaria was a resume builder for, that, for, for Philip. He could have gone anywhere. He could have had any church. He could have done anything. If God, I mean, look at the ministry that Philip is doing. But God said, I, I, I got something in this one man over here I want to do. But I need somebody to go to him. But God, come on. You put angels in the way of Balaam's donkey. Surely you can, I mean, you, you rode on the wall for, for, for Belteshazzar. I mean, God, really, why do I have to leave my comfortable church? Why do I have to leave everything that's happening? I mean, look at the worship and everything's imminent. It, it's a conference atmosphere. Why do I got to go into the desert? Can't you just like put something there and ride it in the sky? I mean, God, you're God. God said, that's not how it works. I need you. And so Philip, he's going down. Now the Bible says Philip ran thither to him. I don't know if Philip ran all the way from Samaria into the desert or if Philip was on a horse until he finally saw the chariot and then ran to the chariot. I don't understand it all. All I know is Philip got there. And as Philip gets closer in the chariot, he sees that Ethiopian eunuch and he's reading the prophet Isaiah and it seems to be that he's reading it out loud. Philip says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? The Ethiopian says, I, uh, I don't know. I need somebody that could help me. I need somebody. In fact, hey, since you said something, why don't you come up here Sit in the chariot with me and talk to me. And Philip got into an open-air chariot in the middle of the desert. The place that they were reading was the book of Isaiah where it says that, that Jesus was led as a sheep to the slaughter like a lamb dumb before a shear, so he opened not his mouth and, and his humiliation, his judgment was taken away and who shall declare his generation, his life is taken from the world and you know all of that begins to go and all of that is, is being read. And, and the eunuch looks at Philip and he says, I don't understand, who, who is this prophet talking about? Is he talking about himself? Is this, is this Isaiah that was led like a sheep to the slaughter? Is this Isaiah like a lamb was dumb before the shearers? Or is it somebody else? And the Bible says that, Jesus, or that Philip opened his mouth and began right there where he was reading. And he preached unto him Jesus. And the more Philip preached, the more that, 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 that man began to feel the presence of God until finally he hollered at the driver of the chariot and he said, stop, here's water right here. We're at an oasis. Would you stop? I, something's touching me. I want to be baptized. Will you baptize me? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And that Ethiopian eunuch looked at Philip and said I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and they baptized him in Jesus name and when they came out of the water Jesus said alright Philip you can go home now and the Bible says Philip was called away I don't know if Jesus picked him up and brought him back all I know is the eunuch couldn't see him anymore perhaps it was just Jesus looking at him saying Philip how far are you willing to go for the kingdom of God. I think he's doing the same to you and I. He's calling on you. He's just looking for somebody to do something. God, 
at least as I read in the scriptures, God is not willing to just pick people up off the street and throw them down in the middle of the church and say, here you go, lighthouse. He says, I'm looking for someone that will go. So ask again, why did you come to church today? What's going to bring you back tonight? What, why do you come on Wednesdays? Why do you live your life for Jesus? To get to heaven, I'm thankful for that. That's, that's absolutely necessary. And first and foremost, you better save yourself before you save others. That's why when you're on the airplane, they say put your oxygen mask on before you give an oxygen mask to another. Because you're of no good if you die. You're no good if you're lost. And so absolutely the first thing that we must do, Lord, save me. Lord, let my life be saved. Let my mind be saved. Let my life be regenerated. But he didn't call you just to save you and put him on a trophy shelf and say, look, I saved Mark Miller. Man, wasn't that incredible? Look what I did in Mark's life. Look where I pulled him from. Look, And he puts it on there and you become just a trophy of God. That's not why he saved you. He saved you so that you might tell others. Because at some point, Jesus is going to show up in their life and if they don't know who he is, they might miss him. That blind Bartimaeus and his companion, those two blind men, if they would have never heard about Jesus, if no one had ever told them, Jesus would have walked right by them. And in their blindness, they'd have missed it and they'd have stayed blind forever. But it seems to be there were two people that Jesus said, go, go, go to all these towns and just tell them I'm coming. Tell him that, that the Son of Man is coming. Tell him that God incarnate is coming. Tell him that the one that can save them and sanctify them and redeem them and heal them is coming. And so two by two they went in the place where Jesus himself would come. The prayer tonight is not, Lord, give us revival. The prayer is, Lord, where can I go? Who can I talk to? Who can I reach? What can I do? It's absolutely insane that the God who walks on water, the God who flings the stars in space, the God that opened blinded eyes and spoke and deaf ears were unlocked, the God that just reaches down and lifts up a dead person and they come back to life would ever have to beg someone to work. Would you stand today? What's the church for? Oh, I'm thankful for every moment I get that I can fellowship with you. I'm thankful that I can come and lift my hands and with corporate praise and corporate worship, I can get renewed. I can get refilled. I can get touched because this world drains everything from me. And I, I'm thankful for church services where I can just feel the presence of God. All of that's important. But the church exists to reach a lost and dying world. Again, my question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Where could you go? What could you say? Who could you reach so that Jesus can touch their life? What path could you kind of lay out so that Jesus could walk and follow your footsteps Oh my, that, that, that gets a little scary. I'm used to following Jesus. But when you think Jesus is following you, where are you leading him to?
don't make Jesus big. I wonder, I, I just feel the presence of God. I feel that unction. I feel that, that burden beginning to fall on you as they begin to sing, as they begin to play. I think it'd be absolutely appropriate, maybe around this altar, maybe even right where you are, just to begin to kneel down. If you can't kneel, maybe you can just simply sit there with every and begin to cry. Say, Lord, where can I go? You just need somebody to do something. I don't have all the answers, Lord. I, I'm not the greatest Bible scholar. I, I don't really know how to teach a home Bible study. I, I don't can't sing. I, I, but, but God, I'll do something.